Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. Hey, who's excited to be in church today? Anybody? 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 Yes, we are starting a new series today. We are going through the book of Galatians. Galatians is a book of freedom and celebration about the fact that we no longer have to feel the pressure of impressing people, of being good enough, of earning our salvation. It sets us free. Have you noticed how much recently people have put so much pressure on themselves to perform, to look right, to to get the right picture at the right angle and post it on Instagram and get enough likes and we just got to It's not just keeping up with the Joneses now. It's just like a whole lifestyle of making sure we look right. We fit in. We we do the right things. We impress the right people. So you walk around and you see girls taking 9 million selfies at every single angle possible just to make sure they get the right angle. Young people take pictures because they want to get the perfect picture. Old people take a bunch of pictures because they just can't believe it's still free. Like they're just thinking, I, wait, I can take all the pictures I want. I don't have to buy any more film. You remember the days of film? Remember, remember you got to take the film to Walmart and get, get all the pictures developed. You got to stand there while they develop them. Or I think back in the day, they couldn't even do it in an hour. You got to come back later. I got 36 pictures on this piece of film. I don't know what they are. And then you develop them and then you find out your kid took 10 feet, 10 pictures of his feet and 10 pictures went off in your purse. You paid all that money for 35 terrible pictures and you got one of somebody whose eyes were closed. 10 pictures, maybe I might be able to use. You just keep taking pictures. No. Today we are launching a series called No Shave November. And whenever you ask a guy why he shaves his beard, what does he say? Anybody know? What is what? What? I shaved it. I got hot. That's a good one, yeah. My wife. That's what I always hear. I ask, why, why do you shave your beard? Well, my wife hates it when I, I don't want to kiss him. Or why, why don't you shave your beard? Well, my girlfriend loves my beard, whatever it is. My friend Seth, our magnificent, beautiful drummer back here, he grows a absolutely beautiful beard. The other day, uh, we were having dinner with Seth and his wife, Jessa, and and I said, hey, Seth, are you going to shave your beard before No Shave November so you can, like, start fresh? And all of a sudden, Jessa yells, no! I'm like, what? Why, why not? I like his beard. Don't let him shave his beard. The beard has to stay. If the wife likes the beard, the beard stays. So why do we choose to grow or not to grow our beard? Usually it's for the approval of people, especially when it is a romantic type of people. And in this series, I say, no more. Actually, guys, if your wife says shave your beard, shave your beard. It's better for all of us. But it was a fun way to uh, make an excuse to grow out my beard for Israel. And we're talking about not doing what we do for the approval of people. I'm not doing what I'm doing to try to impress people. Okay, imagine something with me. Let's all do this together. Imagine pleasing everyone. Wouldn't that be awesome? In order to do this, you have to think of a few people who are mad at you right now, who's upset with you or disappointed with you right now. Imagine what it would be like 
oh, that burden was lifted. The problem is you got to stop imagining because it's impossible. I hope you enjoyed that moment because it's impossible. It will never happen. But let's take it one step further. Imagine pleasing God. It's actually possible, which is weird because how could a perfect God be pleased with screwed up humans? We, we, we get things wrong all the time. He's perfect, yet somehow he can be pleased with us. It's the same way that parents can be pleased with their kids, even when their kids don't pe- behave correctly. It's this unconditional love. My love is not re- reliant on your behavior. And if God is pleased with me, if the supreme being, the one who created all these things, the one whose plan we are following is pleased with me, then why do I try so hard to please people, to impress people? I think this is the idea, this trying to impress people, trying to put on the right clothes and behave the right way and look the right way and act the right way. I think that is really the problem with religion. Because almost all religion in our world is works-based including a lot of Christian teaching that I hear. It's very works-based. We naturally believe that we have to be good enough to earn God's approval, to earn our way into heaven, to be good enough to, to, to impress God with our good works. In religious circles, we call that legalism. Legalism, it's like the worship of the rules. It's making the rules superior to everything else. If I can follow the rules then I'll be right with God. Sometimes we even say that we believe we're saved by grace, but then we talk more about works than we do about grace. Then we talk about how our works can somehow do something to earn us grace. In this series, we're going to go through the book of Galatians, and let me give you a sneak peek of what the book of Galatians teaches us. It says, as for me, this is Apostle Paul talking, he says, as for me, May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul talking. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees are the ones who were all about being good enough. If anyone could have earned their salvation, it was these guys. But they couldn't, right? They failed. Jesus constantly is telling them that you can't be good enough. Jesus constantly railed against them. Why? Because they kept thinking that they were good enough. And rather than looking at God, they looked at themselves. And Paul realized, because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. My interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. I'm done trying to impress them. When we start to believe that we can sanctify ourselves by being good enough, by following the rules enough, by removing enough sin from our lives, then we end up, just like the Pharisees, trying to earn the approval of other religious people. Our priority becomes, I got to be good enough for the pastor. I got to be good enough for whoever it is that I'm trying to be like in the church. So let's remind ourselves. Paul told the Ephesians, God saved you by his grace when you believed. When you believed. That's when it happened. Not how it happened. That's when it happened. God did it. You cannot do it. 
The Israelites tried for millennia to be good enough to follow the law. And they couldn't do it. And now we're trying to do the same thing. But we can't. The gospel is called good news because God can. And he did. Jesus was perfect for us. His righteousness saves us, not our righteousness. And Paul says, and you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. If I can earn salvation, or if I can be good enough to keep my salvation, then now all of a sudden I have something worth being prideful about. If I can take credit for it, I will. I know me. I know my nature. But I have no ability to take credit for anything because it is all him. The thief on the cross, he did nothing good. He had no good works in his life to speak of. And today, he is in heaven. Why? Because he put his faith in Jesus. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. And as naturally religious people, all of us are naturally religious, that we just kind of gravitate toward that, whether you say you believe in God or not, you're religious. And what's our first reaction to this statement? We want to add to it. We want to say, but, but then you have to do good things to stay saved. But then you've got to remove your sins from your life so that you can stay in fellowship with God. But why does Paul say that our salvation has nothing to do with our good works? He says, this is the way God set it up because he didn't want us to boast so that none of us can boast about it. Yeah, but Mike, I'm, I'm better than lots of people. I don't know if you've looked around our world, but there are a lot of screwed up people. No, you're not. You add up all the good that you've done in your life and you subtract from it the bad that you've done in your life and it will always come to a negative number because one bad action deserves hell. Okay, we're gonna play a game. If you have a beard, stand up. Anybody got a beard? Okay, good job. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to play a game where we're going to decide who has the most holy beard. And there are some rules to this game. And as soon as you fail to meet one of the rules, you have to sit down. Okay, so stand up. If you got a beard. Good job. Okay, now sit down if you're disqualified by one of the rules. The first one is obvious. You must have a beard. The second rule is you have to be a man. Sorry, ladies. Third rule is you have no more than 10 gray hairs. So go ahead and count them. No more than 10 gray hairs. Okay, we've still got a couple contestants in. You have to have eaten meat for breakfast to qualify for this game. Anybody? Yeah. Okay, we still got a couple in here. You have to have shaved on October 35th or 1st with a stone razor. Anybody? Anybody else? Everybody's, nobody's standing anymore. I'm not even through my list yet. Nobody, everybody's disqualified already. You also have to have, you wear only animal skin, live in a yurt, be the starting quarterback of the Kansas City Chief, and we'll just stop there because y'all are failing to meet up to the expectations of this game. Okay, we'll call off the competition. No, you are all unworthy, right? 
Well, there are 10 more rules on top of this that we need just to get our game started. If, you, if we look at the list of rules that perfection requires, for you to be perfect, it's impossible. You could never even play the game. You couldn't even try to be good enough because you start off in the negative and you have no ability to get to the positive. That's why the prophet Isaiah says that we need a savior. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? And the answer is we can't. We need someone else to do it for us. We need a savior. We can't save ourselves. We are drowning and we can't swim. We're in prison without a key or a spoon to dig our way out. Nothing. We're stranded on an island with no boat or trees to make a boat out of. He says, we are all infected and impure. Infected and impure with sin. So we need the cure. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Your goodness does not make you perfect. Your goodness cannot make you perfect. We want to be able to earn our salvation because then we'll have something to boast about. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do. Look how great I am. Whoop-de-doo. The fastest way to forget what God thinks about you is to be consumed with what people think about you. Your heavenly father knows your flaws and he loves you unconditionally. But we spend so much time trying to impress people who don't even love us unconditionally. Everybody we come in relationship with, we begin the relationship with selfish motives. Well, he's attractive. Well, she's got money. Well, he seems fun to play with. Whatever it is, from the beginning, we say for selfish reasons, we come into the relationship. And then as we become more like Christ, as we mature in our love, then maybe we can get to the place that we're not in it for what we can get out of it. But that requires Christ-like maturity. Trying to, be, to impress people, to be better than people, it's futile. And comparison kills community. Comparison kills community. If you want to see a miserable group of people, find a bunch of people trying to one-up each other trying to see who can look most impressive or, or have the nicest stuff. If my Instagram looks better than Sheila's Instagram, then somehow I'll impress Karen. And that's the Pharisees. That was their life. Do you know what the word Pharisee means? Pharisee means separated ones. Destroying community. They would look at the world and they would judge what was wrong with the world and they separated themselves by doing just a little bit better. Yeah, not perfect, but I'm a little bit better than him. And so we divide. So what did they do? Well, they wanted to be better, so they made up their own rules. And then they followed their own rules, the rules about how to act, about how to eat, about how to dress. And they decided because we follow our rules, we're better than you. And at first, in the, in the beginning, their, their goal was good. When they started, their goal was to worship God. They wanted to be set apart for God. But then it just ended up the same way all of us end up with worship of self, not of God. They make up their rules and obey their own rules and then feel, feel good about themselves. But how does obeying a rule that you made up make you holy? It doesn't. They felt holy. 
but they weren't holy because the person that they should have been comparing themselves was not to other people, but to God. And he is perfect. And when you compare yourself to God, you always lose. That's what makes Paul's words so powerful because Paul was an ex-Pharisee. And he says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people anymore, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. I would be their servant, implied. Today, it might be popular to call yourself Christian and and to be in the Christian in crowd. And so some people just kind of join because that's what their friends are doing. That's not the case back then. In order to follow Christ, Paul had to become an outcast. His old friends hated him because now he's no longer one of them. Now they are separated from him. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. In other words, it's not logical. God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are are higher than your thoughts. You can't reason your way to grace. It makes no sense. Because human reasoning says, I'm better than most, so I deserve more than most. Human reasoning says, if I work harder, I should get more. Human reasoning says, I should get what I deserve. It tries to be fair, but God's grace is not fair. God's grace does not give us what we deserve. It's not logical. It's not, it's not human wisdom. It's God's wisdom. He says, I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. And this is why we trust scripture. We believe that these are not just the words of Paul, that God gave Paul these words that he would write down and then we can put our faith in them. This is the word of God now. This is all Jesus, not Paul, not me. I know it's just now November, but I am so incredibly excited about the series that's coming in January. We're calling it Jesus, period. We're just talking about Jesus for the whole spring semester. And we're really excited to walk through and learn what was the priorities that God put on his life? What did he emphasize? What did he talk a lot about? Why? Because there is salvation in no one else, only him. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Peter actually said these words while he was talking to a bunch of big, big wig religious leaders at the temple. And they're all amazed by his boldness. So after, Paul, after Peter says this, the religious leaders send Peter and the apostles out of the room and they start talking about him. And they said, what should we do with these men? They ask each other. We can't deny they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. What are we going to do? Uh, we'll threaten them. That's what we'll do. They're saying, listen, you can preach, you can tell people to be good, but don't use that name. We want to be the religious authority, not Jesus. We are the judge. We are the one who create the rules, not him. Compare yourself to us, not to Christ. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. 
And this is the same way it is today, right? In our world, you can say higher power. That's good. That's fine. Nobody's threatened by that too much. You can say Allah. You can say supreme being. You can even talk God. God. I even hear mainstream TV talking about spirituality. But don't use that name. Jesus, that's too divisive because he says he's the only way. So if you use his name, you become exclusive. And that's too far. Why? Because that name is supreme. It demands all loyalty. Because it's the only way to heaven, I must put my faith in him and I can't brag about myself. If I put all my faith in him and not in myself and I can't prove how good I am, then it takes attention off me. That's not okay. Paul told the Philippians that God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can't preach in that name. It's too threatening. That Jesus guy and came and said he's perfect and we can't compare to perfect. We can compare ourselves to everybody else, but not to perfect. We would lose. What did Peter say? But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Who do you think you are? We obey God. We surrendered to him. We called him Lord of our lives. We put our faith and all of our trust, every bit of it, in him. Why? Not because we need to obey him in order to earn his approval. We obey him because he approves of us. Because he gives us grace. Because he changed us. Because he gave us new life. That's why we obey. It's the motivation for behavior. It's the motivation for good works. I do good works not to earn his approval. I do good works because he approved. That's exciting for me. How could I not give myself to him? That's why I can't stop talking about it, he says. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Have you seen this guy? So let's talk about you. Did you grow up in a church that said they believed in grace and then they, they turned around and convinced you you weren't good enough? That somehow your sins disqualified, disqualified you from the grace that they said they believed in? Or maybe they put this twist on it. They said, you, we believe in grace, but you've got to be good enough to keep grace. Well, then it's no longer grace. Do you still think that you can be good enough? Because you can't. Because sometimes we get depressed, we get down on ourselves, we start feeling ashamed. Those are attacks of Satan, not of God. When you feel like you are not good enough, you are actually in the right place to be in relationship with God. When you feel like you are not good enough, you are actually in the right place to come to him and surrender to him and say, God, change me, make me new, give me a new life. And we believe that it is him who sanctifies us. It is him who takes us deeper into relationship with him and makes us into the people that he created us to be. I surrender to you. I follow your teaching. I, I do good things because you gave me grace. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
What are we called to do? We are called to put our faith in Christ, to believe in him. That is our goal. Not to impress people. Don't seek the approval of people. Seek the approval of God. Declare that he is your Lord. Believe that he is good enough. Don't put it off. Today, make the decision. Many people try to wait until they're good enough. Well, I've got to get... I've got to get rid of this habit and I've got to change the way I do this and I've got to fix this relationship and then I'll become a Christian because then I feel like I can be good enough. Then I can correct some things in my life as a Christian. That's not what God calls us to do. God reaches out to the sinner, to the tax collector, the prostitute, the rebel. God says, follow me, come follow me and then I will make you who I created you to be. Step one is follow him. Have you taken that step? Today, do that. We invite you to to let us know that you're ready to take a next step to follow Christ, to become his child. God, I thank you that you have done what we cannot, that you have lived the perfect life, that you've created the perfect system that allows us to be adopted into your family and united with you in love and not separated from others. And that is why we surrender ourselves to you, to follow you, because we recognize that you alone have truth. We thank you for your love and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that you'll come back next week. There's more to the story. And the book of Galatians takes us deeper and deeper into this idea of what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ.